Good evening and welcome to Point of View. I'm Chris Berg. Thank you so much for joining us. Coming up here in just a moment, I had a fantastic conversation with Senator Kevin Kramer about filling the vacancy on the Supreme Court. Now, earlier today on his radio show, Rush Limbaugh suggested that the GOP should just forego any Senate Judiciary Committee. Look, they say they got the votes. Just bring it to the floor. Don't let any of these Republicans get squishy and just put this new justice on the Supreme Court. So I asked Senator Kramer about that and much, much more. Senator Kramer, welcome back to Point of View. Always appreciate your time. It's amazing. I, I said last night, can 2020 get any crazier? It seems like it has. And I guess if you don't mind, take us inside the GOP luncheon today. I'm assuming a lot of important conversations happening. Um, what can you tell us about it? So it's sort of interesting, Chris, and I will bring you inside because it's really inside. When we go over to the, the NRSC, the National Republican Senate Committee, for our meeting, and this was scheduled to be there um, for several weeks, you know, usually the, the reason for going over there every few months or so is just to get an update from the NRSC on polling and fundraising and talk about the political landscape. Well, you know, little did we know when it was scheduled to be over there that we'd be talking about a Supreme Court vacancy, um, which is not irrelevant to the rest of the discussion. But the bulk of the luncheon was to discuss the, the politics of, of uh, you know, the actual party and, and the conference and how the races are looking. Obviously, though, you know, we're not going to miss the, the moment to address the obvious issue, and that is, of course, this vacancy and how we handle it. It's, you know, Chris, what's interesting is that, uh, you know, I think we're pretty much committed. I think we can, you know, anybody that's paying attention knows there are probably 51 Republican senators now who want to vote this year on a Trump nominee. I'd say the vast majority of that 51 are willing to vote on that Trump nominee prior to the election. Now, there are pros and cons politically, and I suppose you and I will discuss them to doing it before and and, uh, and maybe some pros and cons to doing it after the election. But that's where the leader does such a masterful job of listening to his members, listening to those members that are on the ballot this year who will uh, no doubt be dealing with this this topic um, and and what what's best for their re-election chances? Uh, is it to do it before the election or after the election? We already know the president wants to do it before the election. So that's the kind of discussion we had, uh, along with, of course, the negotiations with the uh, continuing resolution and the Speaker of the House pulling um, the vote today uh, off the House floor, which was encouraging. Um, you know, and and even what another another. Uh, COVID relief package might look like if it's at all possible. So that's the breadth of the issues that we discussed. Wow. So we'll get into the politics in a moment. I'm just curious if you can take us in these. Did, did anybody say anything to like Lisa Murkowski and go, come on, Senator, it's Alaska. You know, you got to step up and do your job. It says in the Constitution advising consent or did they just sort of let people alone? You know, that's a it's interesting. You might be disappointed in in, in, in how that goes. There, there isn't there's never really a lot of strong arming in the Senate. You know, there's there are no shrinking violets in the Senate. There are no really weak people in the Senate. Um, and as long as there are 51, you know, the other two are generally um, left alone. The question becomes, are there 51? And it increasingly looks like there are. So it wasn't that kind of a meeting and it never really is. I think to the degree that, you know, one more senator needs to be convinced to do something, that's a transaction that generally takes place offline. It wouldn't take place, you know, there wouldn't be heard right. pressure, shall we say. It, it takes place in, in a smaller conversation. 
You, you just said that there's no shrinking violence in the U.S. Senate. I think there's some viewers that may disagree with that assessment. And I, and I say this because earlier today, I don't know if you saw the news, but Rush Limbaugh floated an idea I want to put by you. He suggested on his radio show this morning, hey, you know what, because there's so many GOPers that get weak in the knees during these hearings, that just skip the judicial uh, committee hearings and just go right to a Senate floor vote. What say you? Yeah, I don't know that we could really do that. I, I, frankly, Chris, I do think process matters. And while I appreciate Rush Limbaugh being the smartest man in America and all those things, um, <laughs> he certainly is entertaining and he's provocative. And I think that's good. But but process does matter. And, and how people perceive the process matters. It matters in, in terms of the confidence that people will have with the uh, the ultimate outcome of it. And, and to be truthful, I think we're in a good spot, Chris. I think politically we're in a good spot to confirm a conservative justice and to secure the best opportunity for Republicans to hold the Senate and the White House. And uh, I think the, the really the remaining question is, do you do that with a final vote before or after um, the election. But I, th I think it's important for Americans to see the process played out. I think it was important for the Kavanaugh circus to play out in the public arena. It's what hurts Democrats and it hurt them badly. And, and uh, I think it's good for America to see the process, see the types of questions, hear the questions that are asked of a Supreme Court nominee, and then listen to that nominee's answers. I think some may agree with you, but the, the challenge is I, what sticks out of my mind is Jeff Flake in that elevator, right? Like, you know, that was a setup. You know, the Democrats that I've heard now that Senator Graham's going to have a three days of hearing. The Democrats are going to say that's not long enough. I mean, they are going to pull out, as you know, every arrow in the quiver to try and muck this up. Sure. Do you feel that there's a strong enough I guess, or these guys have a strong enough spine to stand up against people meeting them at elevators. Going, we've seen people now going to Senator McConnell's houses. Are they strong enough in their yes to get through this? I think they are, Chris. And I, the, the biggest reason is that they've all been through Kavanaugh. They saw it play out. They saw the ramifications of it. Jeff, I, you know, I might remind you, Jeff Flake is a former senator. <laughs> um, so, so it's not. I think it's. I think there's more resolve than ever. The fact that so many members came out early, supporting the president's both constitutional right and responsibility, and supporting, you know, his decision to have a nominee and to bring that nominee before the Senate for confirmation sometime this year, if not before the election. And I think the the increasing momentum is with doing it before the election. I don't. It's certainly not unanimous, um, but it might be consensus. But yeah, I'm not worried. I will tell you what I would worry about. I what I'd worry more about is wait until after the election and say something bad happens. And how would the election inform, uh, a, you know, that, that I think that runs as much risk as, um, you know, as the alternative, quite honestly, although it doesn't for me. I mean, I think your conviction ought to be based on the process being appropriate, the vetting being appropriate, your you know personal comfort level with the nominee. And uh, if you're, you're convicted to vote yes, um, on November 2nd, you ought to be just as convicted to vote, vote yes on December 2nd. Well, and then let's speak to that, because I said this last night, sir, and I said, you know, the one thing that scares me the most is this, and you've been in this game for a long time, is the fact that you see all these states now, for example, Minnesota, you're able to count votes until November 10th. So yeah, yeah they got to be postmarked, but you can count. So it feels like there's going to be an intention here to sort of muddy the waters, murk up the results. We might not know for quite some time. And then if you sit with a 4-4 court, what what would that mean for America? So you 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 you've teed up a really important point, Chris. This this is why this is one of the stronger arguments for a pre-election 
Yes. And remember that the Democrats have already amassed a, uh, uh, an army of lawyers to try to screw this thing up. And because chaos works to their advantage in their in their mind. That said, what you don't want to have, even, even let's just say that we had the, the vote on November 4th. So you have an election November 3rd and you have the vote on November 4th. But you need a Supreme Court that has a, a, a nine member, you know, fully, fully uh, robed court that's ready to not just vote on, uh, you know, a potential conflict, but to hear the case as well. So it's going to be expedited if that's what, it, what happens, much like it was, of course, in the, uh, the Al Gore, George Bush race, um, if that happens. So, so you, you do have to be ready, uh, robed and ready to go, shall we say. So I'm going to put some context to this question because I just got done with Bemidji on Friday where, I mean, the total population of the town is 15,000. There was probably 15,000 people at this event. And yet when I see Cory Gardner come out strong and some of these other senators you mentioned about, hey, we're going to vote for uh, a nominee, it sounds like potentially before an election, Mm -hmm. I get the sense that there could be a Trump landslide. Am Am I wrong based on what you guys saw today at the NRSC? And two, what does this vote mean for you guys holding the majority in in the Senate? So it's a great question, Chris, because on net, you have to consider the entire context. You know, it might be different for Susan Collins in Maine than it is for Cory Gardner in Colorado than it is for Martha McSally in Arizona. Or let's say Gary Peters, the Democrat in Michigan, who's now behind or the the Democrat, mm-hmm. in, uh, you know, the Democratic incumbent in um in Alabama, who is well behind the Republican challenger. Um, There's a lot at play, but on net, I think it's an absolute winner for the Republicans in the Senate and the Republican in the White House. I I don't think there's any question about it. Let's face it, the Supreme Court, this isn't the first time the Supreme Court's been on the ballot. The Supreme Court was on the ballot big time in 2016. It was on the ballot in 2018. As you know, I ran against the Democratic incumbent who voted against Kavanaugh, raised $13 million overnight, and she lost to me by 11 points. So I know a bit about um, the Supreme Court (laughs) politics on the ballot. I think it's better for for Republicans. Now, there's going to be some Democrats for whom it'll be better. Let's face it, Democrats raise a lot more money on these issues than we do. Um, Their billionaires are more generous than our billionaires. But um, that said, think of Lindsey Graham. He's on the ballot. He's in a tough race right now. You know, chairman, I was asked by the gaggle here today, that the the Washington News Corps, about how I thought this was going to you know, play for Lindsey Graham, isn't it going to make it more difficult? And I said, absolutely not. Who better to show off his talents, his gifts, his intellect um, in a time like this than Lindsey Graham? So no, I think on balance, it's a, it's a net win for Republicans. Just want to remind our audience that that 11 point win by Senator Kramer in 2018 was the largest m- uh, margin in the country that year. So how do you see uh, this helping or hurting Jason Lewis over in Minnesota? I, I see it hurt helping him, don't you? Yeah, so it's a great question. I've been thinking a lot about that. I think it's it is helpful most places. I think it is helpful to Jason in Minnesota, because the battleground in Minnesota, um, I think the court matters. I think it it plays to to his favor, but um, it certainly plays to his favor in outstate Minneapolis, outstate Minnesota, in places like your your viewing audience, obviously. the, the, then the question becomes, you know, the swing voters, the marginal voters, the, the suburbanites, you know, that's still all about, I think, law and order, uh, personal security. The court has a role to play, obviously, in that. Um, so, I, you know, I think, it, I think it does help Jason Lewis. Are you going to be part of the conversations with helping President Trump choose? It sounds like it's between, you know, Amy Coney Barrett and then there's Barbara Lagoa down in Florida. 
do you have a, a particular choice one over the other? Yes, that's a great question. I, I did some, well, as you know, on, on your network today, uh, I did an interview on this topic and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, going to be, I think, comfortable with either one of that, those two if, if they get the nod. Uh, we know a fair bit more about Co Judge Coney Barrett because she's fairly recent to the circuit court. Um, there's a, been a lot of talk about her for a very long time. Um, I think Judge Lagoa brings a, a different approach, a little bit of a different um, set of, of uh, characteristics. I, I, I like that uh, as well. Um, but I don't know either one of them. And so I'm going to want to you know, have my personal time with them and, and at least in terms of vetting their record. Um, but uh, yeah, I, but I don't have a personal favorite, Chris. I really don't. You know, for me, the issue really comes down to respect for the Constitution, and particularly to, to federalism, states' rights. We have watched court after court uphold you know the the, uh, the federal government's superiority over the the subordinate states which is not what our founders had in mind and that gets to lots of issues it doesn't get to one particular issue some people might say that well that's what roe v wade is other people might say well that's what obamacare is or you know any number of environmental rules and regulations i want to know at the higher level what do you think the proper role of federalism and specifically what the role of states is as a cooperator and as a partner with the federal government? Yeah, you, I think, may surprise some people if you, if you didn't get a chance to see Senator Kramer's interview earlier today on MSNBC because the, the subject of Roe v. Wade abortion came up and you said, look, I don't want to disappoint my pro-life people because I'm pro-life. So kind of walk through your yeah. thought process there. And then secondly, what I want to know from you, because I saw Tucker Carlson asked this to uh, Laura Ingram last night. Why? I mean, the issue right now in this whole SCOTUS fight is going to be abortion. Why? Why is the left just so bent on saving that? In your opinion, like why abortion? You know, I, for the life of me, I don't get it. I can't. It's one of those issues. It's hard for me to wrap my mind around, except to say that they've been so taken over by the far left that only far left candidates are even allowed to run as Democrats. I mean, Nancy Pelosi has put up candidates against pro-life Democratic incumbents in, in primaries to, to get rid of them, to purge them uh, from their party, which is part of why we have this huge a, you know, dug in divide in the country because you're no longer allowed to be a moderate Democrat. Um, so I don't know why. I think the part of it is the industry is very supportive of, of Democrats. They've figured figured out they're the good guys in their world. Um, but the reason, don't, don't get me wrong, abortion is still a very high priority for me. But I think if you settle the issue of, of the law and the Constitution, individual rights and states' rights, you settle lots of, lots of other issues, including abortion. But remember, Roe v. Wade, just for the folks in Fargo-Moorhead, if Roe v. Wade were overturned today, tomorrow the, the abortion clinic in Fargo would move to Moorhead and it would still be able to operate. I want to get I want to end abortions. And I'd like for the Congress to start passing bills that can stand up to the scrutiny of the Supreme Court within precedent um, and, and, and make abortion illegally illegal or at least much more rare um, nationally, not just simply shift to the states. Thank you so much to Senator Kramer for his time and insight there. Also important to know, uh, Nancy Pelosi was getting some pushback from egg state Democrats because she was trying to basically hold our farmers hostage. So I talked about that with Senator Kramer. That's up on our uh, Facebook page and Twitter as well. And some other good news, Savannah's Act was signed by President Trump. So Senator Kramer wanted to say thank you and great job to Senator Heidi Heitkamp for her hard work 
on that bill. All right, stay with us. we got a lot more coming up here. Earlier today, Minnesota Governor Tim Walz was in Moorhead over at an elementary school. You're going to get a chance to hear from him. And as always, please share your point of view with us. You can email us, text us, leave us a voicemail. We'll be right back.